The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to this Friday edition of Scorebox with Amanda Drury and myself, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. Oil prices surge as the Pentagon confirms a U.S. airstrike in Baghdad has killed Iran's top commander, General Qasem Soleimani, head of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard's elite Quds force. Well, President Trump authorized the strike to, quote, protect U.S. personnel abroad, whilst Iran's foreign minister hits back, saying Washington is responsible for the consequences of its rogue adventurism. Meantime, stocks in Asia mostly give up gains amid rising tensions between Washington and Tehran, while U.S. futures point to a much lower open after notching fresh record highs on the very first trading day of 2020. Elsewhere, investors seeking safety as Middle Eastern frictions flare as the dollar drops to a nine-week low against the Japanese yen and gold jumps to a four-month high. Okay, let's fill in some details. The Pentagon has confirmed Iran's top military leader, General Qasem Soleimani, has been killed in a U.S. drone strike in Baghdad. Soleimani was the head of Iran's elite Quds force and was seen as a key figure in Iranian and Middle Eastern politics. The general's death marks an escalation in tensions between Tehran and Washington following New Year's attacks on the U.S. embassy in Baghdad. And as we mentioned in our headlines, the price of crude, the price of Brent has gone up. As you can see, Brent, the global benchmark trading 2.91% higher and WTI 2.75% higher. Well, let's get to our Middle East expert, Hadley Gamble, who joins us with more now. And Hadley, there are so many aspects to consider, but there has been a build-up in tensions uh, between the Iranians and the US. Perhaps one can look back to the uh, refinery strike we saw in Saudi Arabia late last year as well. But also, if you could just frame how important this general was uh, to Iran and its command structure. Absolutely, Steve. So, you know, in terms of what happens next, we're not talking about if the Iranians are going to hit back at the United States for this attack. We're talking about when and how. But in terms of his significance, Qasem uh, al-Sulemani, decades at the helm of the Quds Force, that's the paramilitary foreign force Uh, the foreign arm, if you will, of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. And this is a man responsible for um, everything from um, potentially uh, the assassination attempts on Adel al-Jaber, the Saudi foreign minister minister and ambassador to Washington back in 2011, also uh, the death and assassination of Rafiq Kariri, the former Lebanese prime minister, Um, and also, you know, the surge in Iraq itself when we saw the attacks on Americans via IEDs, Uh, And again and again and again, American forces being targeted inside Iraq between 2003 and 2011. All of that can be traced back uh, to Mr. Suleimani himself. So we're talking about someone who definitely has American blood on his hands. He's also wanted in Kuwait, various things. But he's also a man who has really been the poster child for, uh, you know, organizations like Hezbollah, uh, frankly, for the Syrians, for the Iranians. And this has been for decades now. Um, this is impossible kind of to, to describe just how damaging this will be to the psyche. I mean, this is a man who they decided, of course, immediately to come out and say he's been martyred. Um, 
But in terms of that rogue activity that the Iranians were um, discussing about how the United States is they're going to get payback for the rogue activities that they have, I mean, they're frankly one to talk. So when we think about what could happen next, potential um, targets, frankly, um, for the Iranians when they're thinking about how to retaliate here, we're talking about U.S. bases, U.S. tanks, U.S. ships. Um, when we talk about Iraq, you know, anything goes, frankly. We're talking about the bases. We're talking about we've already seen what we've seen earlier this week in terms of the embassy. Oil companies could definitely be a target here because they're considered Western um, and certainly American companies operating inside Iraq. And we're not just talking about the oil companies. We're companies talking about potentially American companies, corporates like GE as well. Certainly anything that's got an American um, synergy to it is going to be, you know, open and fair play when it comes to any kind of a backlash that we see. We can also talk about, we might potentially see the Hezbollah, of course, um, so many of those belonging to the um, the militia force of, of Hezbollah, um, they, of course, being trained by the Iranians themselves, not just in Syria, but also in Lebanon, of course. And they could be um, potentially uh, targeting U.S. facilities in Lebanon, uh, Israel. We're talking about Africa, Latin America, the EU. Anything that Hezbollah can, within their reach, we could potentially see as a target here. And again, I would just, um, that people who say that if President Trump's just sent America to war, that might be overblown. But at the same point, certainly we're going to see some kind of retaliatory measures. As for the reaction within the United States, Hadley, we're hearing that former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden says this is a, a hugely escalatory move in an already dangerous region. And U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren has also called it such and says that essentially um, this is a reckless move that escalates the situation with Iran. What else are you hearing about the reactions so far from within the U.S. on both sides of the aisle? I think when you think about this in terms of the political calculus, um, President Trump, in terms of the reason I would say that, you know, when people say this, you know, that President Trump has just been America for maybe overblown, we're talking about a president who's in an election cycle. He didn't want to look like Jimmy Carter. He wanted to look like Ronald Reagan, which explains uh, this targeted move, particularly after, you know, an embassy was essentially attacked. Um, what I would say in terms of the political calculus here. He's got to keep remembering uh, the people that voted him into office, right? And most of those folks would say they wanted America out of foreign wars. And he said again and again, he's bringing the troops home. Uh, NBC reported just a couple of weeks ago that they were bringing thousands of troops uh, back uh, from Afghanistan. That they were looking to bring more back from Iraq. Um, and the question, of course, has been over the last few months uh, surrounding the cake attack at Saudi Aramco, thousands of U.S. troops now going into Saudi Arabia to protect Saudi Arabia <laughs> and their oil supplies and global energy supplies. Um, so it signaled, of course, that the president was willing to do something to help potentially the global economy and keep oil prices low. But he wasn't, in fact, uh, willing, certainly after that drone strike several months ago in the Persian Gulf, um, to put American lives at risk in terms of foreign wars, in terms of attacking Iran. So I think in terms of the political calculus here, he's very much going to continue to play to his base because we are in an election cycle. And again, you know, he didn't want to look like Jimmy Carter, but he also, at the same point, needed to do a calculated move. And as significant as this is, and as escalatory as this is, it isn't necessarily signaling it's time to go to war with Iran. Hadley Gamble, thank you so much for filling us in and we'll get back to you for more updates as soon as they become available. Thank you. Let's bring in our guest, Valentin Marinov, head of G10 Forex Research with Credit Agricole. Welcome to the show, Valentin. Thank you so much for your time today. So let's follow on from uh, this US airstrike. Uh, we're seeing a spike in oil futures. I think Brent crude rose about 4% at one point. Um, do you feel that potential conflict between the US and Iran has been underappreciated by the oil market? 
Well, I guess it has been pushed aside and has been always lingering as a potential threat. Geopolitical risks are always something that you have to be mindful of when you're building your scenarios for the future, really. But I guess the timing of it was uh, certainly surprising uh, for the markets. And it's coming at a potentially not the best time for the global economy. We have global PMIs really coming under renewed uh, pressure, still reeling from the uh, not so uh, uh, really uh, from the trade war between the US and China we had to deal with uh, until not so long ago. So from that point of view, I think the timing of the shock that we're experiencing at the moment may be potentially the one thing we should be focusing on and its uh, economic impact via higher oil prices and tighter global financial conditions. Um, I'm going to say something which I may be controversial on this day, but it just purely in terms of the oil price, it's not really moved that much, I would suggest, given people are historically concerned about the ramifications of conflict on either side of the Straits of Hormuz yeah. uh, and the amount of oil traffic that goes through that and the crippling effects that, that could have for the global economy. To see Brent crude and WTI, and this is a fantastic chart because it really sums up for me that WTI has just moved at best to the mean of its move yeah. over the last two years as well. I would suggest the world is potentially swimming in oil. Um, we saw the OPEC cuts late last year as well. It seems extraordinary to me that even despite concern about a ratcheting up of tension, we've only seen such a modest move in the price of crude. Well, I guess uh, maybe it's a bit early to draw the uh, really fine conclusions here about the overall impact on oil. After all, we just had the OPEC meeting where they reaffirmed cutting production further. At the same time, we, or in addition, uh, rather, we also have expectations of oil output uh, really peaking this year. So chances are well, that the move may continue and uh, that latest development... you non-OPEC supply potentially uh, yeah. and US shale output potential. And that's a, it's a well-trodden view and we'll have to see how that pans out as well. But, but for me, whether you're looking at your domain, which is the foreign exchange world or, or this commodity world or even the equity market move now, something that I've looked at my entire career is it's very, very difficult to trade and to comment on what the market will do on the back of a geopolitical event. So my caution to our viewers, and I, yeah. I wonder if you'd echo that, would be don't get too carried away about what you think the natural reactions are of market assets yeah. to geopolitical events. No, it's the case. I mean, as I was emphasizing the timing of it rather than the actual uh, shock as such. It is the case that we just had some PMIs uh, out of China early in the week, uh, the Eurozone, obviously the UK, and the data is not stellar. It is the case that the global economy is not in the best in its best shape uh, here. So from that point of view, the last thing you need right now, where the global economy is, is uh, significantly high, uh, higher, much higher oil prices, which could translate into, uh, if you wish, unwarranted tightening in the global financial conditions. As regards the actual impact, I mean, there are mitigating circumstances there. We do have the Fed really pumping dollar liquidity in the market on a daily basis. We have the repo auctions. We have 60 billion worth of money really flowing into the markets. We have uh, other central banks really committing to more uh, really dovish uh, policy measures and so on and so forth. Uh, either way, I guess uh, the future will only tell what, what uh, uh, the overall impact is going to be. But what I'm trying to emphasize here is that the timing of it is somewhat unfortunate for the market. So we could see some de-risking continuing. Uh, obviously, it's the end of the week, uh, start of the new week, uh, really, or the year will be really next uh, uh, week. But the point being okay. that invest that will likely open on a more cautious tone. But how high is the risk of a, of a sustained elevated price of oil for the global economy? To Steve's point that we're essentially awash with oil yeah, 
moment because US shares completely changed the dynamic for supply and demand. Can we make up the shortfall easily? Uh, clearly, demand and supply driven. And uh, to your point, it is the case that demand hasn't been that great where supply really, the adjustment we've seen from OPEC were triggered partly uh, because of the insufficient uh, demand uh, there. So from that point of view, chances are that uh, the spikes or the spike we're seeing may not be the beginning of a new uptrend uh, in oil prices. What is the knee jerk on the other side in the foreign exchange world? If our viewers are determined to yeah. run for the hills and they do think there should be a market reaction. What is the safe haven trade now? I mean, people always look to the yen, they look to the Swissy. What about the role of the dollar? Uh, well, the dollar has been uh, has emerged as a, if you wish, a high yielding safe haven, and uh, uh, if you wish, uh, the dollar has, uh, or indeed the shale oil revolution has burnished its credentials as a commodity currency. And uh, from that point of view, the dollar should benefit uh, from the latest developments, courtesy of its superior liquidity versus uh, less liquid risk correlated currencies, but also, and I'd argue more importantly, uh, against uh, really commodity importing uh, really uh, currencies like manufacturing exporters like the euro uh, if you if you wish you like the Swedish crown I mean even the Korean won uh, all the economies that are importing oil uh, will likely uh, uh, will be suffering from the latest development whereas economies like the US actually may benefit from somewhat higher oil prices it might this be a case of be careful what you wish for because uh, you know over the course of 2019 a lot of currency traders were bemoaning the fact that it was an incredibly calm and narrow range trading year yeah for currency markets, which obviously creates very few trading opportunities, might we see a little bit more volatility being introduced to the currency markets Yeah, that's now? one of the reasons why we would expect uh, really the latest development to potentially have somewhat more lasting uh, impact, especially given uh, that we are at the very start of the year and given the starting point where we are really record lows in euro dollar vol uh, mm -hmm. not so long ago, uh, really uh, multi-year lows in other FX uh, volatility, asset price volatility. So from that point of view, yes, indeed, it could prove a turning point for many of these uh, markets with the most vulnerable really currencies by implication the highest spikes in volatility for the commodity importing uh, uh, really currencies manufacturing exporters i mentioned a few euro stocky uh, plus the korean one this is where you will be buying vol uh, on the day all right fabulous look we've got your company for a lot longer this hour so we will cover a few other trades maybe even have a little look at brexit later on as well uh, thank you very much indeed for that for now valentin joins of course from credit agrico and to find out who general Kasim Soleimani is, uh, and was, I should say, uh, and why he was at the top of the US target list, head online to cnbc.com. A quick look at the US futures and where they are currently trading. Uh, US markets hitting record levels yesterday, but as you can see from the implied opening, uh, abating somewhat from that. But we'll discuss these broader markets after a short break. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse.
Welcome back to Squawk, everybody. Let's take a look at the Asian markets. Ex-Japan, because it is still on holiday until it resumes its trade on Monday. So a very interesting picture here in light of the U.S. airstrike that killed a top Iranian general. In reaction, we did see a number of these Asian markets either pair or lose their earlier gains. For example, the Hang Seng here, which is down by three-tenths of a percent at one point in the game, was up by just over one percent. The Shanghai Composite here was at an eight-month high just yesterday, is now sitting flat with a downside bias. A very interesting picture, though, right here behind me. You have a number of the markets still in the green, though, and this is because there are a few oil producers or heavily oil-exposed uh, countries out there in the Asia-Pac region. For example, Indonesia and Malaysia, they're oil producers. So we have seen a move to the upside in a number of the oil stocks supporting those markets, including my home country of Australia. Let's move along and take a look at the U.S. market picture from overnight, where we saw fresh record highs with the Dow, the S&P and the Nasdaq all gaining uh, substantially in the first trading day of the year. In fact, I think nine out of the past 11 years, Steve, has been a, a bullish start to the trading year. So the Dow was up by just over 1% there, the S&P up by eight tenths of a percent. For the Dow, in fact, it was its best trading day in about six months. I want to show you what's going on with Apple here. Just uh, let's move in a very different picture from what we were seeing uh, this time last year with regards to Apple. Uh, it's currently uh, sitting at 300 for the very first time ever. Over the past six months, it's gained nearly 50%. You might recall if you flip back to January of 2019, it came out with that Q1 revenue warning. It lowered its revenue guidance and everyone was saying, oh, it's no longer an innovator. We're wringing their hands about this company, but it really proved them wrong with regards to stock performance. Arguably, some people are saying it might start to be a, a little bit stretched at these levels above 300. Let's move on and take a look at some of the dollar crosses for you. So you've got sterling dollar on the back foot, losing the 132 handle back down to 131.08. So it's dollar strength, a little bit of safe haven flows going on here. Euro dollar, which has been at multi-month highs, certainly one of the reasons that uh, on the strong euro days has been weighing on the euro equity markets. Uh, we're sitting at 111.66 right now. Dollar yen sitting at 108.11, moving to the downside. Yen uh, beating out the dollar in the, the battle of the safe havens there. And dollar yuan is currently sitting at 696.98 right there on the board. So Steve, uh, we're obviously watching the, uh, the knee-jerk reaction at least in the first day after the uh, US strike. And we'll be continuing to watch what kind of reaction we have as we continue Excellent. our trading day. Thank you, Mandy. Okay, look, just um, we'll continue to give you updates from uh, all parties involved in this. Uh, we have uh, flashes hitting the Reuters newswire uh, from President Rouhani, uh, the Iranian leader, saying Soleimani's uh, assassination will make Tehran more decisive in its resistance against the U.S. That's according to uh, President Rouhani of Iran uh, being quoted by Reuters uh, on TV. I believe that's domestic television in Iran as well. Just quickly getting back to Valentin Marinov on this before we move on, head of G10FX Research at Credit Agricole as well. Uh, Many foreign exchange traders have been bemoaning the lack of volatility in foreign exchange markets in 2018, 19, blaming, of course, their old friends, the central banks as well. Yeah. If um, we see more 
geopolitical tension, and if we see less central bank action, could volatility return to the foreign exchange markets? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's the case that the one thing, I mean, given that global growth outlook uh, is not expected to improve significantly anytime soon, the one thing that's going to stop the markets from selling off would be more decisive action by uh, the central banks. And I've already mentioned the Fed, there's 60 billion or so of uh, liquidity injection every month. Uh, they're planning to continue to implement until the end of uh, June, that courtesy of the that's because of the tensions in the repo market. But the latest development, if indeed they result in a more sustained spike in oil uh, prices, plus uh, more sustained sell-off in risk-correlated assets, uh, stock markets, all that translates into what uh, central banks like to call unwarranted tightening in the financial conditions. So, so there will be then calls on uh, the Fed in particular to potentially consider uh, really changing their tone, changing their rhetoric, uh, and potentially even signaling that, uh, further easing from here. Does that present problems in an election year? Does it potentially run uh, against what central banks try to do uh, or try not to do in election years, which is to try and move the needle on interest rates unless they very much have to? Uh, well, certainly it's adding to the pressure on uh, the Fed, uh, uh, given uh, that the election year we, we have in mind, obviously, is uh, the US. But I guess uh, what uh, would be critical for the market uh, uh, is really how the story will evolve from here, whether the escalation uh, or indeed uh, what we are seeing, or if you could describe it as the escalation, the tensions uh, will uh, continue from here, the pace of it. And obviously how this compares with the reaction function of uh, the Fed, that will determine ultimately the market reaction and then the need uh, to act uh, sooner or, or later. But uh, overall, it certainly will add uh, to the pressure on uh, the Fed to potentially consider further easing. As a matter of fact, our central case uh, actually is for another insurance cut by the Fed uh, in June. That very much uh, on the back of our expectation that the US economy will be slowing okay. in the first half of the year. So uh, I guess the latest development and the uh, really uh, accompanying uh, unwarranted tightening in the global financial conditions only adds conviction to that view. I mean, it's the classic bad news equals good news, right? Bad news out there in the economy often equals good news for the market because of the wonderful, generous largesse of the central banks. Yeah. I mean, last year was just wrought by hand-wringing. Ooh, hand-wringing over the trade war. Oh, hand-wringing over recession risks. And what a good year it turned out to be for most asset classes. Yes. What would you say is the highest risk for the market this year? And do we once again risk climbing that wall of worry for no good reason? Well, Clearly, uh, I've already mentioned that the global economy is in a worse place than it was, say, a year or so uh, ago. And uh, indeed, at the same time, as you've rightly said, uh, 2019 did finish on a very high note. I mean, uh, all-time highs for many stock market indices, especially that that was a year where we had earning, uh, earnings warnings, really, where the if you wish, uh, expected earnings for many companies listed on those stock exchanges have been uh, in a secular uh, decline. So that so is only possible because, because of the, uh, indeed, the expectation the central banks are still very much in control. The Fed is still pumping in liquidity and so on. But that also means that uh, for this to be sustained, that decoupling between fundamentals and stock market risk assets performance, the central banks may have to do more, if not uh, much more. So from that point of view, I think uh, we could see some repricing of those risks. That'll be indeed stock markets. You would think that credit spreads may have mm -hmm. to widen again, especially if 
the central bank, uh, I keep mentioning the Fed, is not as responsive as uh, investors are hoping so, them to so be. It's a mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the yeah. most dovish central bank of them all? I well, mean, it all comes down to, uh, you know, relative, relative, relative dovishness with, when we're trying to work out which currencies are going to outperform. Well, well, in currency terms, I think the Fed is still the one central bank uh, everyone will be uh, looking at, especially given that the likes of the ECB, the BOJ are very close or potentially already at the rock bottom of their easing cycle. So tell me, Valentin, now we've been had the uh, QE for a while and we know that the big bang, the shock and awe of it earlier on was very effective as well. But in latter years, is it now, as you reference, purely about making sure the mechanics and the plumbing of uh, markets such as the repo are working? Yeah. Or actually, do people genuinely believe that more QE can stimulate more supply, more demand, and more credit activity? Because let's face it, the experience in Japan and the Eurozone is checkered at best. I know, indeed. And uh, I mean, just the, the track record of those policies is such that uh, the e likes of the ECB before the Riks Bank, they had to revisit uh, really the uh, not only the effectiveness, but also the side effects of all these monetary policy tools. And this is why, one of the reasons why I would expect that the likes of the ECB in particular to sit on the sidelines for the time being, uh, irrespective of what's happening uh, in the global economy. And so long as the, that's not impacting so the Eurozone. So Euro? I think your year end target of 2019 was... Uh, 112, in which case you pretty much hit the target. Uh, what, it's what, a bit what about high, this? actually, but uh, it's 116 uh, overall. But part of the idea really is uh, that was the last year, uh, yeah, 112. Yeah, 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 so right, so now no, we, we got it bang on. Uh, but the point for this year, we expect some uh, really improvement in the outlook. But as you mentioned, a key driver there would be the relative dovishness uh, there between the two central banks, the ECB and the Fed, uh, against the backdrop of a rather weak global economy and indeed preponderance of geopolitical shocks there. Fact being that the one central bank that has some firepower to respond really to any unwelcome developments, that is the Fed. The ECB okay. less so. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.